episodes, we spend a lot of time talking about natural ways to reverse our PCOS, but what about medical intervention and treatments that your doctor can prescribe and how does your doctor and all the medical options weave in to naturally healing your PCOS? Can they go hand in hand or are they mutually exclusive? That is what we're going to be talking about in today's episode. You're listening to the PCOS Repair Podcast, where we explore the ins and outs of PCOS and how to repair the imbalances in your hormones naturally with a little medical help sprinkled in. Hi, I'm Ashleen Korchek, and with many years of medical and personal experience with polycystic ovarian syndrome, it is my joy to watch women reverse their PCOS as they learn to nourish their body in a whole new way. With the power of our beliefs, our mindset, and our environment, and the understanding of our genetics, we can heal at the root cause. So first of all, let's just kind of recap why a natural approach is so important. When we look at lifestyle, it's the only way to entirely treat our PCOS. It gets to the root cause, it balances all the hormones, it alleviates and lessens all of the symptoms. It's not picking and choosing one thing and not addressing other things. This is really important because when we start looking at medical approaches, that is not the case. So when we look at creating an environment that is healing to our PCOS, that nourishes our body, that allows our hormones to move back towards balance, that boosts our fertility, helps us to manage our weight and alleviate all the other symptoms, we aren't just targeting a symptom with a Band-Aid. We are also setting ourselves up for less risks going forward. So for example, if you're wanting to repair your fertility and you're using a lifestyle approach, not only do you balance your hormones, start to ovulate, have regular periods, find out you're pregnant, but now you have also set your body up for a healthy pregnancy. You've reduced your risk of miscarriage and you're also reducing your risk of complications during pregnancy. This is why I love the natural approach to PCOS, but it does not exclude medical assistance. My background is a medical provider. I have treated patients with all sorts of prescriptions and procedures, and I find medicine to be a modern miracle. There are so many amazing things that we can do for our patients. It's so important to help people find a way to be doing their part at home to create health so that they can thrive. Okay, so now that we kind of know where all these pieces fit together, let's talk about how your doctor can fit into how you want to manage your PCOS. There is not a cookie cutter one way to do this. You get to have a choice. You get to choose how much or how little you want medical intervention. Now, I urge you to always seek your doctor's opinion or seek a second opinion if you aren't sure you agree with what your doctor is saying or wanting to do. Because they have medical training, they are looking at your entire health, they're looking at everything, and so you want to always take your doctor's advice. However, this episode, we're really going to be talking about how to have those conversations with your doctor so that the way that you want to manage your PCOS is not pushed aside with the way that they normally address PCOS in their clinic. So 
When someone shows up with PCOS, a doctor may say, look, you're having irregular periods. Let's put you on the pill. Problem solved, right? Well, maybe that's not what you want to do. There's really no health benefit of going on the pill unless you're not having periods and your doctor may be concerned that you're never shedding your endometrial lining. And that is the conversation you'll want to have with them. So it's not do it or don't do it. You definitely want to have these conversations with your doctor, but just because the pill is their solution to irregular periods does not equal you must go on the pill. So this is why we want to have these conversations. I hope that makes sense, but you definitely want to seek your doctor's advice and counsel on all of these topics, including um, starting any sort of new diets or exercise plan, because they are the one that knows the most about your health. The information here in these podcast episodes is to help you to start asking the right questions so that you can start creating an environment that's going to help your body thrive. It's not to say don't listen to your doctor or that you that you don't need a doctor. So don't take that away from this because you definitely, definitely, definitely want to run these ideas by your doctor. But what we really want to see is how do these two parallel ways of managing your PCOS, a natural approach and a medical approach, How can they dance together to create your best outcome and how to create a method that's going to work for you, not only like success in as as in you want to get pregnant and you get pregnant, but what is going to feel good for you um, that's not going to drive you crazy, that's going to fit into your lifestyle, that um, makes you feel comfortable with the choices that you're making for your body. So the first step is to really take ownership for yourself of becoming informed and being an active participant in the decisions that you're making when it comes to your PCOS. A lot of the options, both medical and lifestyle have choices. And so because it's a syndrome, because everybody's different, because there's no one size fits all when it comes to PCOS, the most important step is number one. And that is that you take an active role in the decision-making It's usually not, this is the only solution that you can go with. It's not a one choice situation. It's really many options that you're going to have to make that choice. What I see the most is when women want a certain outcome, a certain treatment, a certain, more than a treatment, they want a certain result. They make three main mistakes. And that is they don't stand up for themselves. They go to a various provider. Maybe it's a traditional medical doctor. Maybe it's a functional medicine doctor. Maybe um, you're listening to me and you're thinking, I'm going to give you all the solutions. That's the first mistake. You want to gather information. You want to get people's input. And then you want to speak up and ask the questions that you need for yourself. Okay. Because no one else has the answers for you, but they have training, they have experience, and they can help you significantly but you have to remember which one of these providers you're talking to. Are you talking to your medical doctor that is thinking about diagnosis and making sure that everything that is potentially harmful is being taken care of? That's why they're very important. They're really going to come into play when we talk about risk factors. Or are you talking to a functional medicine doctor who may be more prone to drawing the labs that you want drawn and monitoring your health in a preventative manner? Or are you listening to someone like me where you're really looking at those other two options being great, but let's focus on that environmental bubble of how 
we can be doing that extra piece that's really going to give us a huge impact on creating health, balanced hormones, and reversing our PCOS from a more natural standpoint. The second problem that I see or the second mistake that I see is opting for the Band-Aid treatment and expecting an all-inclusive result. There's nothing wrong with a Band-Aid treatment. Now, there are some side effects. There are some things to consider, but I hear a lot of people on social media bashing these Band-Aid treatments, such as birth control. There is a time and place for birth control, and each woman, you know, we live in an age, luckily, where we get to make informed decisions. So the only mistake is not to take it or not to take it, but to make that informed decision of what is right for you at this point in your life. And then the third mistake I see is people not getting the support that they need, not knowing where to get the support or not creating a team. I think a lot of times we look for that one person that's going to give us all of the answers. And like I just alluded to, there are experts in different areas. And when it comes to PCOS, there's going to be people who can help you do a natural approach to PCOS management with nutrition and exercise and managing the bubble that you create for your environment. And then there's going to be a part of your team that medically manages your PCOS. If you need any prescriptions, if you need any specific monitoring, if you're trying to get pregnant when you become pregnant, if any special tests or um, things need to be ordered to ensure that everything is going smoothly, you need someone who can do all of that medical in-person healthcare treatment. And then you may want to include people who are going to support you, going to hold you accountable and things like that. So that it can create a whole team. Sometimes I see women get frustrated when the one person, typically their doctor, isn't providing all of those things. So I think it's really important to realize that your doctor is not there to be your health coach. They're not going to be your accountability buddy and cheer you on. And they're really not the person to go to for nutrition advice. Now they may have some way in on that's not a good diet for you. And this is why, like, in other words, if you have really, really high cholesterol, although there are stories of people doing keto and having it lower their cholesterol, there's also some risk involved in that. And your doctor's probably going to recommend a lower fat although maybe a low carb diet would be good. Maybe it wouldn't, but they're not going to necessarily recommend a keto diet, but they are going to have some general direction to kind of point you in, but then that's where their expertise stops and they may pass you on to, or recommend a nutritionalist. So in order to speak up for yourself and feel confident having these conversations with your doctor, there's a couple of things that I really recommend leading into your appointment if it's your first appointment or leading into your next appointment, or if you're feeling like you're currently in limbo, because that's what I hear from a lot of women with PCOS is they feel like they are in limbo, not sure if they should make an appointment or if they should follow up because they've been given the diagnosis with no real clear next step. Maybe they were told you have PCOS. There's not much we can do about it. You can take the pill if you want to come back when you want to get pregnant and we'll give you Clomid. I hear that scenario so often. And those women feel like they're in limbo. They don't know what to do. And ideally, the thing that they would do right then is just um, follow a lot of the steps that we talk about here on the PCOS Repair Podcast, where they're creating an environment that is really nourishing and supportive of their body's needs. And then whatever their goals are, whether it's increasing their fertility because they're ready to get pregnant, 
whether they want to drop a few pounds, whether they want to go ahead and get laser hair removal, but they don't want the hair to immediately grow back. They are setting themselves up for balanced hormones so that they can kind of move on past these PCOS symptoms. So going back to, as you speak up for yourself and gain that confidence, it may start with having been given the diagnosis. And now it's time to just make a follow-up appointment because you are ready to have a deeper conversation with your doctor about your next step. Some things that are really helpful when it comes to talking to your doctor is having tracked your cycle. When you say something like, I have irregular cycles, doctors hear that all the time. If you come in and you say, I had a 60-day cycle in February, I had gone since December, and then late February, I had a cycle, I had a period, and now it's June and I haven't had one since. And I don't remember exact dates, but that was a fairly typical pattern for the year prior. You're going to get your doctor's attention much more than if you're just like, I have irregular periods because a lot of women have irregular periods, but they bounce between 25 and 35 days. And we don't get too excited about that in medicine. But when you start having many months between cycles, we start to become a lot more interested in running labs and working that up. So having that data And having that information is really helpful. Then think about the symptoms that you are having and specifically ask how each one of those that is bothering you, maybe not all of them are bothering you enough that you want to address them, but ask about how you would address each one of those. So if facial hair is a concern, how would your doctor recommend addressing facial hair? Or if acne is a concern, or if weight is a concern, or if your cycle is a concern. Ask them what they would offer, you know, what they would recommend. You don't necessarily have to take them up on it. And then my favorite question for the doctor is, how would that benefit me? Or another way of asking it is if they say, well, some people are candidates for this, but you're really not a candidate for that. Then you can say, well, what would make me a candidate for that? Or what would be, what is different about my situation that makes me not a candidate. And an example of this would be someone that says, well, sometimes I I recommend metformin for people. And and this isn't exactly true because people go on metformin all the time, but bear with me on this example. They'll say, you know, I, I recommend metformin for a lot of people that need to lose weight, but your blood sugars are so low. And in the normal range, I really don't think it's gonna help you. So there you have an answer and you can say, oh, okay, well, should we be checking my blood sugar like every year or how often should we be checking my blood sugar to make sure that it remains low where I wouldn't need metformin? And again, you don't have to choose to go on metformin, but th- these are the kind of conversations to help keep the ball rolling with your healthcare provider so that they don't just go, okay, well, you have PCOS and sorry, make a follow-up if you ever need anything else. Because that's a lot of times how these appointments go. So the next step is having an idea of where do you want this to go? And ideally, from a medical standpoint, what we would want is for your doctor to run initial tests. When they run initial tests, they are looking to both diagnose PCOS, but also to rule out other things. If they're not running tests and they're just running maybe one or two labs and going off of your symptoms, we might be missing something that's mimicking PCOS but is actually a different disorder. Now, maybe you treat it the same way and they get lucky, but maybe something in your symptoms is just not showing something else that's going on. 
So really the purpose of running labs and tests is to rule out other things. And PCOS almost becomes a diagnosis of exclusion, meaning we excluded all the other possibilities for the symptoms that you are experiencing. And instead, since all of those were normal, we are left with PCOS. So to rule out other things, you're going to want to make sure that you request a TSH, which is to rule out a thyroid disorder. Now, ideally, you're going to also run a T4 and T3s, and you're going to work that up a little bit more, but most physicians are not going to order a full thyroid panel until they've at least checked a TSH. Now, someone with irregular cycles, I would rather just run a full thyroid panel. You can request that. If they say, oh no, a TSH is enough, roll with it for now and then see where it comes back. If it comes back on one of the edges of the normal range, inquire about it more, you know, maybe ask like, you know, that's kind of on the edge there. Do you think it's worth looking into that a little bit more? I would love to see them run a cortisol to rule out Cushing's disease, especially if weight is a concern. So something like cortisol may be a difficult test to run. It's a little annoying to the patient. Sometimes they do a urine cortisol, you know, so sometimes doctors shy away from ordering these things, but if you ask for it, chances are your doctor is going to be like, sure, we can, we can take a look and see if everything looks okay. And then another one is prolactin to rule out a benign tumor, maybe causing a hyperprolactemia. Basically you have high prolactin in your bloodstream. And sometimes this can be caused by um, usually a benign small tumor, but there are things that can cause this that are not PCOS related. And so it's worth looking to see if prolactin is elevated and everything else looks fine. And maybe that's where your symptoms are coming from. Never a bad idea to order an HCG. Less so with people that already know they have PCOS, but a lot of times the symptom flare is because of pregnancy. And when you have irregular periods, it may seem normal that you haven't had a period in a while, and it may not be because your periods are regular. It could be because you're pregnant. So um, the other one that I like to throw out there, again, some doctors are going to you know, be happy to order this, and some are going to say not necessary, is insulin-like growth factor one. And this rules out excess growth hormone. Now, the typical tests to test for PCOS are going to be your testosterone and SHBG, which is the sex hormone binding globulin, the AMH, which is the anti-malarian hormone. This can often be elevated in PCOS, but a low value could actually indicate premature ovarian failure. And so these are going to be things where if you're planning on having kids and that your doctor's like, oh, we'll just, you know, give it some time. And then they run a lab like this. They may say, you know, let's go ahead and start fertility treatments earlier. That's why some of these labs that aren't necessarily mainstream labs are still possibly important to be running just to give you more information to work with. That said, if you're done having kids, this, you know, that may not be as important in your conversation with your doctor. FSH, which is follicular stimulating hormone, uh, luteinizing hormone, you're looking really for the ratio between those two, all your estrogens, which may be normal or elevated in PCOS. And that's actually kind of interesting to know if you're a PCOS um, estrogen dominant or estrogen normal. Those are kind of some interesting things for you to know from a natural approach to your PCOS. DHEAS, this is a really um, important one and one that I had never actually heard of all through PA school, even though I spent quite a bit of time in women's health. The first time I heard this one was when I was working in dermatology 
I worked up so many women for PCOS because anyone that came in interested in laser hair removal or any female that was complaining of adult onset acne, our suspicion in the office was very high for PCOS. And so we would work them up partially from the standpoint of, I didn't want to be doing laser hair removal on someone if it was just going to come back without explaining to them what was going on and why they had the hair in the first place and what to expect from treatment is going to be different than someone who does not have PCOS. Doesn't mean I can't treat them, but they may not have as much reduction permanently. They would still have reduction, um, but they may be looking at doing a lot more touch-ups in future. So we started order. So one of the labs that my supervising physician um, had recommended and that I would order on my patients when I was evaluating them for possible PCOS was DHEAS. And if this is elevated, a lot of times we're looking at more of a stress response and an adrenal type of PCOS. And then this is the next section um, when we look at monitoring PCOS health that your doctor really is going to play an important role. So with PCOS comes several risk factors for developing things like type 2 diabetes, higher cholesterol and cardiovascular problems, as well as uterine cancer, endometrial cancer. And so we want to be watching for things like that, even if you're not actively having other concerns about your PCOS symptoms. So that's something that you would want to work out with your doctor. Now, you know, maybe it would look like something where they test you initially, they work you up for diagnosis, they rule out everything else. And then if you're not looking to start infertility treatments and there's really nothing else they're going to do for you right now, then maybe they would set you up with, you know, a six month or a year follow-up just to run some repeat labs to kind of see if anything's trending a certain direction. For most of these labs, the normal range is large enough that it can be very difficult to determine if this is normal for you or if you have adjusted enough. And with hormones, our, it's very, our bodies are very sensitive to it. And so a small adjustment can have a large impact. And so it's really more important to see trending of labs more than just one lab value at one date and time, and then not check them again. So rechecking them is a good idea. Now rechecking them in a month, probably not going to see a whole lot of change, maybe six months, but I would probably see most people push it out to a year, depending on what the objective is. Again, this is why it's really important to have these conversations with your doctor. And then after a year, if everything is holding steady, they might push it to two years or three years and then eventually push it out to maybe testing every five years just to monitor, especially these areas of risk factor with running a lipid panel, checking your hemoglobin A1C and, you know, looking at, are you developing any hypertension and so forth. Now I saved this one for the last because I don't find it highly important, but that is to do an ultrasound to assess the ovaries for cysts. Now, I think a pelvic ultrasound is a really good test for women who are considering infertility treatments or are having trouble getting pregnant or getting diagnosed for PCOS. But the finding of cystic ovaries is not that exciting to me. There's really not a whole lot to do about it. And it doesn't usually cause a lot of problems. Usually the ones that people find really painful are an ovarian cyst, which is different from cystic ovaries. They're often confused by people, but a cyst is actually a true cyst. Whereas what we see with polycystic ovaries is actually halfway matured follicles. And usually that's not very uncomfortable. 
Um, now, many women may have a little bit of endometriosis or just really painful periods. And so they, they think it must be the cysts that are hurting during ovulation or during um, different parts of their cycle. But oftentimes it's just a painful period and the cysts are not necessarily the cause. So I don't really get too excited about the cysts. However, a pelvic ultrasound can be very beneficial in making sure that everything else is normal, making sure that um, you do have two ovaries, making sure that you have healthy fallopian tubes, making sure that your uterus is in appropriate shape and placed appropriately. And there's not other things that may be making pregnancy harder um, or getting pregnant harder. And so um, doing that ultrasound at least once to kind of assess the basic anatomy um, can be a really, really helpful assessment. So then the next thing that your doctor is going to want to talk about, of course, is if you need any specific treatments. So the big one is, of course, birth control and metformin. These are offered to most women with PCOS when um, once that diagnosis is determined. Um, metformin has been shown to reduce risk factors. So doctors like to start people on metformin, even if labs come back fairly normal when it comes to blood sugars and, and pre-diabetic screenings. Um, because there has been studies that show that metformin can be preventative and helping um, in that front. And there's also been indication that maybe it can help with weight loss. And so if weight loss is a goal of the patient, then metformin may be a good solution. On the flip side, a lot of patients have a hard time with metformin. It can cause a lot of GI upset, uh, constipation, diarrhea, stomach pain. And so patients don't necessarily love taking it. This typically subsides if patients stick with it for a period of time. So talk to your doctor about, you know, what they're seeing with their other patients of how long and what dosing. Sometimes doctors will cut back the dosing and kind of work you up slower if you're struggling. And of course, ask the question, why do you think this is a relevant treatment for me? Um, Because, you know, I mean, if you're struggling with it, I would like to know at least are you just putting me on this because the research shows that women with PCOS should be on this? Or do you have, you know, what is your feeling on why I should be on this and see if it's something that you feel is a good fit for you. Now, a lot of people are saying lifestyle approach. You don't need metformin. I do want to say here that, well, if you have a really healthy approach with the lifestyle for PCOS, you may not need metformin. However, stopping metformin or choosing not to take metformin is definitely a conversation to have with your doctor. There is a threshold at which metformin is probably needed to be protecting your arteries and protecting you from heart disease if you are starting to become pre-diabetic and you definitely may need a medication at that point. Now, there's many other ones to choose from if metformin is not working for you, but definitely don't just say, oh, a lot of people are given metformin. And my doctor gave me metformin and a lot of people are saying they don't need it because it's just, you know, an option. Some people actually do need it. And so I think that sometimes all of that conversation of um, if you're having symptoms with it, then just toss it out and don't take it anymore can be harmful. And we need to make sure that we at least talk to our doctor's office about the fact that you're struggling with the medication and see if it's something that they feel is needed based on your pre-diabetic screenings. And if they feel like it's needed, maybe there's an alternative if you're struggling to manage with um, metformin from the side effect profile. Okay, so um, other 
Okay. So the other medication would of course be birth control. And this has two benefits. Of course, if you're not wanting to become pregnant, it can help protect against that. Also, if you are having irregular, really miserable periods and you're not wanting to get pregnant right now, it may not be a bad choice for you. But I want you to keep in mind that even if it's keeping your cycles more manageable, the PCOS is not being treated by the birth control. In fact, the birth control might be making your PCOS a little bit more difficult to treat later. It is overcomable. And we really have to choose what's right for us right now. Um, and what was right for us right now usually does take into account what we want down the road. But sometimes we need to do what we need to do right now. When I wanted to get through PA school, um, having a baby would have been a very, very difficult thing at that time. I wasn't really going to be able to take time off. You know, if everything went smoothly, you know, you maybe you'd only take a week or two off and that would be hard enough as it was. But of course, things don't always go smoothly. And being put on bed rest would potentially... Um, have me forfeit a lot of my clinical rotations that would have to be made up and be kind of limit availability. So limited availability going forward. So those are just things where birth control was a good option at a time in my life. And I don't want women to feel like they have to choose their health or birth control. Making an informed decision, however, is really important. And understanding that birth control does kind of take over the control seat when it comes to your reproductive hormones. And sometimes your reproductive hormones don't start up naturally again on their own afterwards. And you may struggle a little bit to regain um, your fertility and regular cycles. And again, there are ways of overcoming that with things like Clomid and other medical options, as well as giving your body some room for healing for a more natural approach. So, you know, those are things where you can kind of cross that bridge when you get there, but just understanding that some women with PCOS do struggle to go off of birth control. And so it's not a, it's not without its own side effects and things to think about. Then of course, if you're trying to get pregnant and have been struggling to get pregnant, you have a diagnosis of PCOS, your doctor may either refer you to a fertility specialist or may prescribe something like Clomid or Letrozole. If a couple rounds of those don't do the trick, they may suggest IUI or IVF. If you're looking for weight loss, or if your doctor feels like weight loss would be beneficial for your PCOS management, they may talk about diet and exercise. Um, Typically doctors don't have a lot of great insight into that. It is not an area that they spend a lot of time learning about in medicine. There is so much to learn in medical school that this area is left to the nutritionists and the exercise physiologists. PTs and things like that to step in and assist patients as part of the healthcare team. And also your doctor may on that same discussion, bring up um, something of weight loss surgery, like bariatric surgery, if a lot of weight is needed to be lost in order to see some improvement in symptoms. So those are some conversations your doctor may have with you and knowing what conversations might come up can help you to prepare for your appointment and think about what it is that you actually want from your doctor. So then circling back around to naturally managing your PCOS through lifestyle. We talked a lot about this in the last two to three episodes, and I will link those episodes below in the resource section. But here I want to discuss why this method is so important and powerful. As you saw in the options above, it's a piecemeal Band-Aid here, a little bit of improvement there, approach to managing your PCOS, where when we start to look at creating an environment 
where our hormones start to balance themselves, it's a cascade of improvement. Improving something like say your insulin or your inflammation is going to in itself reduce body fat. When we reduce body fat, our body functions better. We reduce inflammation even more, and we start to see less bloating, less discomfort after eating. We start to see our energy improve. We, as our insulin starts to balance, we notice we have less cravings and we have less energy crashes. And um, when all of, when we have less insulin circulating our body, our LH and FSH ratios self-correct allowing ovulation to occur. Now I'm big picture, um, simplifying things here a little bit, but that's what we see as we start to make simple lifestyle changes as compared to trying to force something over here with the medication and force something over here with the medication. And that's not to say the meds are bad. In fact, like I mentioned, they may be needed, but when we see a lifestyle approach in action, It's like this beautiful symphony with all of its instruments finally in tune again, and everything is working together. And you just see this positive cascade upward spiral of improvement that just starts to feel good in your body instead of filled with medication side effects. The other thing I want to mention here is that fertility treatments don't come without their own downside. They can mess with your hormones and PCOS symptoms just as much, if not more, as birth control. So when we think, oh, I'll just take, well, I'll just do um, fertility treatments when I need to. Yes, they are there for you at that point. And I'm so thankful that they are because they can lend huge benefit and results for people. But it's also important to consider that what our body really needs is care and nourishment to support our fertility. And infertility treatments typically are kind of harsh and they're take a forcing approach, attempting to manipulate our bodies to do something that our body is already hesitating to do. And so it's just, it has a different feel to it. And again, they are so important and needed, and I'm so glad we have them, but it's important to also understand when and where you want them to fit into your PCOS journey. I'm not against infertility treatments at all. In fact, I was all set up and ready to start walking down that path myself. What I'm merely suggesting is that maybe we jump to them too quickly and we would have better outcomes if women did three to six months of lifestyle adjustments to get as far as they could without the infertility treatment. I think we would see less women needing infertility treatments. And then those that did need the extra assistance would likely respond a lot quicker with a lot more success. And then the other consideration is what about after you do get pregnant. Now, the plus side is that if you're already undergoing infertility treatments, chances are you're going to have more monitoring to reduce the risk of miscarriage. However, I have seen a lot of people be given Clomid and Letrozole without a lot of monitoring. So eh, sometimes that doesn't go hand in hand. This is why I love a lifestyle approach because it also reduces the risk of miscarriage And when partnering with your doctor can also provide you the assistance of being monitored as you found out that you became pregnant and ensure that you have a healthy pregnancy. So there you have it. While I am a strong supporter and believer in a natural lifestyle management of PCOS, I also believe that medicine can play a very helpful and a needed role in your PCOS care. As I conclude this episode, let's do just a quick recap because we covered so many different facets of managing your PCOS. First of all, remember who you're talking to. 
doctor versus preventative functional medicine, uh, both are really important, but they're not, they don't always have a lot of crossover and you may need to be the bridge between the two as you pick and choose what works best for you. And as you listen to the advice that they're giving you, your MD is there to rule out other diseases and to provide supporting findings that eventually lead to the diagnosis of PCOS. They're going to offer you treatment options, and then we want to have them monitor for health risks and provide appropriate treatment over time. Lifestyle is up to you by creating an environment that your body can thrive in, and that is exactly what the PCOS Repair Podcast is here to assist you with. So if you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss our next episode where we will discover the difference between labs and symptoms, which one you really want to pay attention to, and how to use that information to reverse your PCOS and live symptom-free. Until next time, bye for now. Did you know that studies of PCOS epigenetics have shown that our environment can either worsen or completely reverse our PCOS symptoms? I believe that although PCOS makes us sensitive to our environment, it also makes us powerful. When we learn what our body needs and commit to providing those needs, not only do we gain back our health, but we grow in power just by showing up for ourselves. This is why I've created a guide for you to get started. My PCOS fertility meal guide can be found in the show notes below. I want to show you how to create an environment that promotes healing while still being able to live a life that you enjoy. This guide is completely free, so go get your copy now so that you can step into the vision that you have for your life and for your health.